Anyone? Raise your hand if you're familiar with Diana, this song, right? What does it mean? It would have been enough. Die, the first part of Dayenu, in Hebrew it means enough, or in modern Hebrew it's like, like stop. A friend of mine has cousins that live in Israel, and they speak both Hebrew and English. And uh, she overheard them playing one day, um, her, her little cousins, and they were like, die, die. And uh, she was really concerned. She's like, that, that sounds a little harsh. But she realized at that moment they were actually speaking Hebrew, right? So they were just, stop, stop, you know, it wasn't, wasn't that harsh. Um, so uh, speaking of Dayenu, I want to talk a little bit about that. So uh, my wife, Sonia, she says uh, she's been struggling with the concept of this song. It's kind of a strange song, a Dayenu. And taken at face value, in her perspective, it doesn't really make sense. And I, I could see what she means. Okay, so the song goes like this. If the Lord had only taken us out of Egypt, that would have been enough. Well, to quote one of my favorite Jewish sages, Jerry Seinfeld, really? That really would have been enough? Just bringing us out of Egypt and leaving us in the desert and saying, bon voyage. If the Lord had only split the Red Sea, but not taken us into dry land, then Dayenu, that would have been enough. Really? It really would have been okay for us to spend the rest of our lives in the middle of two walls of water? I don't know. Now, I think the tension of the song comes from its history. Uh, one source for the song is that it possibly came out of anti-Semitism. Unfortunately, there has been a lot of anti-Jewish persecution done in the name of Yeshua. Israel Yuval argues that Dayenu comes as a response to an anti-Jewish prayer called Improperia, which blames the Jews for the death of Yeshua and makes them out to be ungrateful. It's actually a historic anti-Semitic prayer. Um, and he says that this caused the response to be the famous Dayenu, it would have been enough, which is now included in the Haggadah and uh, many satyrs. In other words, the song is a response to anti-Jewish sentiment. And the song is saying, no, you know, we are, we are grateful. We are grateful for each and everything that Hashem has done for us. And I think that even though it may have come as a reaction to anti-Jewishness, it's still a good reminder to be thankful. So, Dayenu, right? It was enough. The song spans the life of Israel from the Exodus to the giving of the Torah to the building of the temple. So, to resolve the tension somewhat, we can look at the song on two levels. Literally, you know, no, it would not have been enough for Hashem merely to do one part of the rescuing of the Israelites. But figuratively, we should be grateful for everything that God has done to bring us out. Amen? All right. Now, in this season, as I mentioned before, we are counting the what? 
the Omer. We're counting the Omer. We're counting the days between Passover and Shavuot. We recognize that Hashem brought us out of Egypt, which is redemption, to give us his instruction on Mount Sinai, which is restoration. Every day that we say this prayer and set aside an offering, we are walking out the life of Israel from Egypt to Sinai, Passover to Shavuot, redemption to restoration. The seven weeks or 49 days between the two feasts, they're best examined in the New Covenant readings in the Gospel of Luke at the very end and the beginning of Acts. This is because uh, many scholars view Luke and Acts as one book, actually. Uh, They have a common author. Luke wrote both of them. And they have an overall structure. With Yeshua, he's going toward Jerusalem in the Gospel of Luke. And then the story of Yeshua coming out from Jerusalem in the book of Acts to all the nations. In these two books, Yeshua walked out the life of Israel from Egypt to Sinai, just as we are doing. He walked out the story of Israel from Passover to Shavuot, from redemption to restoration. In Acts chapter 2, Yeshua's disciples were in the upper room on Shavuot, and the wind of God's presence, the Ruach HaKodesh, fell upon them in fullness. Yeshua's life as the king of Israel culminates and fulfills the story of Israel. The period, this period that we're in now, of the counting of the Omer, from resurrection to Ruach, the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at this narrative. The last chapter of Luke, chapter 24, it recounts the events after Yeshua was raised from the dead. Before he reveals himself to his students, they're kind of moping around. They're dismayed. Their beloved teacher, Yeshua, has died. Uh, so let's read, let's read in Luke 24, starting in verse 13. That same day, two of them were going toward a village about seven miles from Jerusalem, called Emmaus. These are two of his students. And they were talking with each other about the things that had happened. As they talked and discussed, Yeshua himself, this is after he was raised from the dead, came up and walked along with them. But something kept them from recognizing him. Interesting, right? He asked them, what are you thinking about with each other as you walk along? They stopped short, their faces downcast. And one of them named named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only person staying in Yerushalayim that doesn't know the things that have been going on there for the last few days? What things, he asked them. They said to him, the things, the things about Yeshua from Nazareth. He was a prophet and proved it by the things he did and said before God and all the people. Our head Kohanim, the priests, and our leaders handed him over so that he could be sentenced to death and executed on a stake as a criminal. And we had hoped that he would be the one to liberate Israel. And besides all that, 
Today is the third day since these things happened. And this morning, some of the women astounded us. They were at the tomb early, and they, they couldn't find his body. So they came back. But they also reported they had seen a vision of angels who say he's alive. Keep in mind, they're, they're, talking to, they're telling this to Yeshua. It's kind of funny. Some of our friends went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women had said, but they did not see him. He said to them, foolish people, so unwilling to put your trust in everything the prophets spoke. Didn't the Messiah have to die like this before entering his glory? Then starting with Moses and all the prophets, that's a term for all the Hebrew scriptures, he explained to them the things that can be found in the Tanakh concerning himself. We had hoped, we had hoped that he would be the one to liberate Israel. We had hoped, they said, that he would be a political leader, a warrior king who would rouse an army and give the children of Israel self-rule instead of being under Roman rule. We had hoped for a warrior king. And what did we get? We got a different kind of king. This was the Messiah they were expecting, though. This is the Messiah that many Jews today are expecting. Apparently, Yeshua could not have been the Messiah because he didn't restore political self-rule to all the children of Israel. Beloved, this is what Rabbi Russ Resnick calls divine reversal. And it flows throughout the story of the scriptures. I mean, everyone knows who gets the inheritance. The firstborn son, right? That's, that's kind of natural. It's like a duh, right? But Jacob, Jacob is chosen instead of Esau. Joseph and Judah instead of Reuben. Ephraim instead of Menashe. They were all second born or born later. Divine reversal is a reversal of expectations. Yeshua is this kind of king. In his kingdom, the weak are strong. The poor are rich. The first are last. The meek, the humble, inherit the earth. He who wants to be great must be a servant to all. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. This king, this king washed the disgusting feet of his students. This king entered the story as a vulnerable baby. And he entered Jerusalem on a donkey. This king was the opposite of what they were expecting a king to be. Divine reversal. But Yeshua says in Luke that we must put our trust in everything the prophets spoke. The whole of the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures, breathes Yeshua. Every broad sweeping narrative, every prophecy, every tiny patach that Clarine was talking about, every vowel mark fulfills 
renews, gives its fullest meaning in the life and the teaching and the death and the resurrection of Yeshua. So what does the narrative in Luke remind us of in the Tanakh? Well, like Joseph in Genesis, Yeshua's students, they didn't recognize him at first. He was, he was walking along with them, right? And they didn't recognize the one who saved them until he revealed his identity. Fulfilling the servant text of Isaiah, Yeshua explained in divine reversal that the Messiah would not rule over them forcibly and politically, but he would suffer terrible pain in their place, the pain that they deserved, he took. And where would Yeshua get this idea of divine reversal? In the Tanakh, in the text. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, written hundreds of years before Yeshua was born. This is what Isaiah wrote. In fact, it was our diseases he bore, our pains from which he suffered. Yet we regarded him as punished, stricken and afflicted by God. But he was wounded because of our crimes, because of what we did, crushed because of our sins. The disciplining that makes us whole fell upon him. By his bruises, we are healed. So we can see that Yeshua is bringing to his students a biblical understanding of who the Messiah King really is. He's a suffering servant king. And what is the moment when they, like Joseph's brothers, recognize the brother who was rejected? When are their eyes opened to Yeshua's true identity? It's not while they're walking and talking with him. It's a little bit later. Let's take a look again at the Besorah of Luke. This is chapter 24, verses 28 through 35. Then they approached the village where they were going. He made as if he were going on farther, but they held him back, saying, Stay with us, for it's almost evening and it's getting dark. So he went in to stay with them. As he was reclining with them at the table, he took the what? He took the matzah. He made a barakah, a blessing. He broke it and handed it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he became invisible to them in that moment. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn inside us as he spoke to us on the road, opening up the Tanakh, the scriptures to us? They got up at once, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together with their friends, saying, it's true, the Lord has risen. Shimon saw him. Then the two told what had happened on the road and how he'd become known to them in the breaking of the matzah. So when were their eyes opened to recognize their Savior, Mashiach ben Yosef, the suffering servant king? Not while he was talking with them, but when they ate the matzah. Now, this was during the week of Passover, so Dr. David Stern translates the word for bread in this passage as matzah, which I think is a reasonable assumption. It was during Passover. So when they're fellowshipping with Yeshua, they're eating with him, 
when they're partaking of the bread of affliction. Then they remember, then they see that Yeshua is the one who is afflicted for us. He himself is the bread from heaven, the bread of affliction. When they partake with him, panim el panim, face to face, over a meal, then they recognize him as the coming one, the afikomen, the hidden matzah now revealed. After this, we find the conclusion of the narrative in the Gospel of Luke in verses 44 through 47. Yeshua said to them, this is what I meant when I was still with you and told you that everything written about me in the Torah of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, had to be fulfilled. Seems to be a theme here, right? The fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Tanakh, telling them, here is what it says. This is in the text. The Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And in his name, repentance leading to forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed to people from all nations, starting with Yerushalayim. You are witnesses of these things. Now I'm sending you forth upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been equipped with power from above. That equipping is coming on Shavuot. Yeshua is saying that every narrative in the, in the Torah, in the prophets, in the Psalms, the entire Hebrew Bible, it's fulfilled in his narrative. Let Yeshua even now open our minds to understand the Torah and his fulfillment of it. The essence of that story is that Messiah will suffer, as we read in Isaiah. He'll be dead for three days, as is mirrored in the story of Jonah. Remember, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days. What did Yeshua say? I'll give you no sign but the sign of Jonah. And then he'll be brought back to life, as it says in the text, in Isaiah 53, 9 through 10. He was given a grave among the wicked. That sounds like he's died, right? In his death, he was with a rich man, although he had done no violence and had said nothing deceptive. He didn't do anything wrong. Yet it pleased Adonai to crush him with illness, to see if he would present himself as a guilt offering. Present himself. If he does, he will see his offspring. And he will prolong his days. Wait a second. Prolong his days? How can you prolong his days after he's died? Yeshua dies and goes to the grave as if he had done nothing wrong, saying he had committed all the foul things that you and I have done, acting as if it was he who had fallen short. Although he is the only one, he's the only one who has never fallen short of the Torah. And yet after he dies, it says his days are prolonged from death to life. He's the only human going the other way. Divine reversal. And all who trust in him are going the same direction from death to life from redemption to restoration. Perhaps you're a visitor today to our congregation. 
Perhaps you're a member. Perhaps you're somewhere in between. You just like to come a lot. But I want to say this to everyone who can hear my voice. If you want to be going the other way, from death to life, if you want divine reversal in your own life, then trusting in Yeshua, the one who exemplified divine reversal, it's the only way to do it. Scripture says in Romans that all have fallen short of the glory of God and are freely justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Messiah Yeshua. This means that everyone has fallen short of the goal of Torah and following God. We all have. It means that we're made right with God by faith in Yeshua. It means the gift of being made right with God, it's freely given. And I want to invite everyone to close our eyes for a moment, please. Close our eyes. Now, if you would like to receive this gift for the first time, or maybe you received it once and you kind of walked away from it and you want to renew your commitment, this gift of God's grace, Jew or Gentile, young or not so young, God is willing and able to give you grace that is sufficient for you. Let me tell you, there's no better decision you could make. Going from death to life, from redemption, the redemption of the slavery to sin, to restoration of our relationship with God through his perfect sacrifice. If you believe that Yeshua fulfilled all of these stories in the Hebrew Bible, like he said, if you believe that he suffered and died so that we could be right with God, if you believe that he's the promised Messiah of Israel, the servant king, if you believe that you have fallen short of God's Torah and you need Yeshua's atoning sacrifice to be right with God, if you believe these things for the first time or maybe again, please raise your hand. I see your hand. See your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. All right. I want to pray with all of you who raised your hands. And, uh, and those of you who did not raise your hands, you can pray along with us. Father God, I believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, that he fulfilled in his life all the narrative of Israel completely, that he is my servant king, that he allows divine reversal so that I can go from death to life. I believe that he empowers me now to follow God because I put my trust in him. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Now, if you said this prayer in your heart, even if you didn't raise your hand, um, come find me or one of the elders um, later on, and we can talk with you um, about life in God and how to continue to seek out and walk out your faith journey. Amen? All right.